couple weeks left in the book of 1 Thessalonians, so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles there, your Bible app, um, whatever is uh, easiest for you there, that'd be great. Um, I was uh, thinking uh, this week about uh, when I bought a car when I was in college. I uh, bought a car when I was in college, and I had all sorts of problems with this car. I mean, all of my young collegiate wisdom uh, going into purchasing this car and uh, I bought it from someone who claimed to have my best interest in mind and as far as I know very well did have my interest in mind but he sold me a car that had all sorts of problems they didn't start immediately but a few months down the road they they started Uh, now was the problem with the salesman or was the problem elsewhere in one sense we can say Uh, Or some might say is a better way of saying it. Maybe that some would think that the problem is with the salesman, but not necessarily, especially uh, especially if if he sold me a car that he didn't know had all of these had these issues or would experience the issues. Right. No one has the ability to know everything that's going to happen in the future. Right. When would it be the salesman's problem? Well, if he knowingly withheld information or if he knowingly sold me something that that he didn't uh, want to disclose to me he was going to have these issues, right? Then it's a different kind of conversation. I'll tell you, the problem lied with me, laid with me. Uh, why? Well, I'm not a gearhead. Uh, it doesn't uh, surprise most of you to know that. Um, and I should have either taken someone who, uh, who, who knows cars better than I, um, which that's a pretty big pool of friends I could have selected to come alongside with me and, and help me buy this car, um, or I could have pressed into this uh, individual's uh, sort of the facts that he was presenting to me about the car to try to ascertain where he uh, gained those facts from, what his knowledge is of the car, the car's history, that kind of stuff, previous owners, all that sort of thing, how he came to acquire the car. Um, or, or even still, I could have taken the car with me on a test drive or with his permission, taken it to uh, a mechanic uh, that could have you know, helped me understand the car better, right? Some of us in this room would tend to say, oh, well, it's the salesman's fault. Well, we have to be careful in making those kinds of assertions. You're like, why are we talking about car sales? Well, 15 years later, Sherilyn and I bought another car from someone in South Jersey on their street. Right. So one I bought from a smaller dealership and one I bought from someone on their street. And we didn't know these people, but I had learned some things about my previous purchasing experience. And so I went into it a little bit more uh, skeptical is not the word, but I learned some things from my experience. I didn't walk away learning that, uh, you know, don't buy a car from a dealership or don't trust salesmen. No, I I learned that wherever you buy a car, you need to do your due diligence. You need to try to understand things better. Right. Again, I'm focusing on the problem was was with me, not the other people. And so in this conversation, we sought to try to understand where these what these folks knew about the history of the car and previous owners of the car. And we did have a mechanic look at the car and this car ran for as long as we should have expected. And here's a key phrase. You know what I'm going to say. This car ran for as long as we should have reasonably expected a car to run for the price that we paid. Right? Can I get an amen? Yes. I think most of us have been there. And let me tell you, when it was done, it was done. We had Braden, and days later, we got him home from the hospital, which was, I'm pretty sure, the mercy mercy of the Lord that just carried that radiator home and then done. I made it to work and back, which was a 40 minute drive 
with a couple of gallons of water, and I said, we're done. <laughs> There's a balance here, right? You can either be entirely distrusting of anyone who sells cars, which would not be the wise move. In fact, it would be a pretty foolish perspective. And uh, and Mr. Urban did not tell me to say this this morning. <laughs> In fact, he's probably perking up listening to how I'm going to present all this stuff, right? Um, if we were suspicious of anyone who sold cars, well, no one would ever buy a car, right? We, we would We would run a field, run a stray of buying cars from honest salesmen, right? Or, or even honest salesmen whom you buy a car from, and then later down the road, you've got trouble. Not necessarily his or her fault in that way, right? Um, the other side of the coin is that we could blindly trust everyone and not do our due diligence and not, you know, Google. I mean, more information available to us today than probably ever before and more easily accessible, right? Where we can go online and we can find out what are the things I need to know when I'm buying a car, that sort of a thing. So what we want to do is try to understand both sides of it. We want to apply wisdom to that kind of a purchasing experience. And then you, 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 you trust the Lord in whatever happens, whether it ends up being a good experience or a bad experience, whatever the case might be. As wholehearted followers of Christ, friends, we need to avoid extremes of total distrust on the one side or blind trust on the other side when it comes to people who claim that what they say or how they live is from the Lord. You can run on dry ground uh, on both sides of that conversation. You can live in such a way where I only trust myself and my understanding of the Bible, and I don't trust anyone else. Or you can fail on the other side of the equation where you say, I'm just going to, if it sounds good, I'm going to go with it. And I will tell you, friends, Satan masquerades as a one who deceives and one who is crafty, one who has great cunning and seeks to steal and kill and destroy and divide through confusion about what the Bible says. And, and so rather than blindly trusting everything we hear or rather than only believing our personal understanding of the Bible, we need to understand what it's like to walk in wisdom as we seek to be people who are not extinguishing or um, quenching the spirit, but as those who are discerning, testing things that we hear, seeking to understand things as best as possible and walking in faith and trusting the Lord. Let's read together 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Now you remember, this is uh, the end of a section where the Apostle Paul is giving 16 commands. Um, and so there are a lot of commands that he's given us. And uh, sometimes, um, sometimes uh, commands that come with a punch are stated in these very brief uh, statements like we're going to hear today and like we heard uh, a couple of weeks ago here, he says in verse 19 of chapter five, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but, and that's the hinge point, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So sometimes when a passage has these punchy uh, statements, brief explanations, uh, the main point's actually going to be a little bit longer uh, because we're trying to explain it as we 
uh, as I communicate this main point. So you might say it like this. While we must not extinguish the Holy Spirit's working among us, we must be discerning by testing everything against God's word and clinging to what is good. Or to borrow from other language that Paul uses uh, in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, he says, rather than fighting against the Spirit's work, wholehearted followers of Christ uh, ought to help one another walk by the Spirit, that's a quote, and be filled with the Spirit, that's a quote, uh, continuously exhibiting, and I quote, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And so as, as Paul describes this to the Thessalonian churches, what he's doing is he's holding out a broad principle and then he gets more specific. The first principle is a principle that's, that's in the negative and then he gets more specific. Uh, then he holds out a principle that's in the positive and gets more, expe- more specific. By the negative, we just mean a phrase, something that's phrased as do not do this. It doesn't mean it's bad. He's just saying it's a, it's a, it's a command that's stated in the negative. And so he starts out here, do not quench or extinguish the spirit but or do not extinguish or or quench the spirit do not despise prophecies in other words you can quench or extinguish the active work of the spirit by despising prophecies or sort of muting prophecies or avoiding clear prophecies that are given to us in the bible now on the positive side and then he, he adds at the end of this abstain from every form of evil again it's a a positive statement there so now stated positively for the most part from from general to more specific he says test everything according to god's affirmed and authoritative word to more specific where you will find the good that you should hold to and the evil that you should avoid abstain all forms of evil so what, what does he mean by do not quench or do not extinguish the spirit's work most people stick with the word quench uh, the ESV, the translation we use here for the most part, uh, says uh, do not quench the spirit. But that word in the original language could actually either mean quench or it can mean uh, extinguish. Now, does that mean we just have a free for all and it can mean this in one case or this in another? No, we still have to do our best to say what what seems to communicate uh, the major message that he's going after here. And both are faithful to the scriptures. Most translations use the word uh, quench, do not quench the spirit. I appreciate the New English translation, which uses the word do not extinguish the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often referred to as a fire. And so the idea is don't, don't dampen or don't throw water on the active working of the Holy Spirit. If we say do not extinguish, you can also extinguish a fire. But you can also extinguish light. And the Holy Spirit is also the one who illuminates our minds and our hearts to know and understand the Bible. And so whether you say do not quench the spirit, do not quench the spirit or the active working of the spirit or do not extinguish the active working of the spirit, you're on solid ground. In Paul's day, in Paul's town that he was ministering to and Thessalonica, prophetic utterances were a more a normal course for the day. Well, why is that? Well, the Bible wasn't yet fully written and put together in what we call the canon of the scripture. One of the things that we affirm is that that we 
uh, we believe and we hold to the 66 books of the Old Testament and New Testament as God's authoritative word. And that we're not to add anything to these books or take anything away from these books. And so we talk about the Bible, but this canon is a collection of these writings. And in Paul's day, these writings were still happening. We're reading one of them as Paul is writing various letters. He's uh, probably still in Corinth at this time uh, on one of his mission missionary journeys or mission trips and writing this letter to the Thessalonian church. Now, you, you can read a passage like this and we can get all worked up and we can get uh, nervous about what exactly was it going after. The, the fact of the matter is uh, most commentators, almost all commentators will universally tell you, we don't know exactly what he was responding to in this day. You may remember I mentioned a while back in, in 2 Thessalonians, there were some who were writing some letters to try to confuse the Thessalonian church, right? And so he, was, he says in 2 Thessalonians, don't be discouraged by them. Don't be confused by them as though they're writing for us. Still in their day, A.D. 50, about uh, 25 uh, or 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it's not that far in the grand scheme of things. Uh, It was a very mystical time as people would look to all kinds of spirits and, 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 and receive words from other spirits and try to communicate those to other people, and it could be confusing. If someone came to you today and said, the Lord told me to tell you, you know, whatever the case might be, or I have a word from the Lord for you or for your family, and you need to do this, right? Well, how would we understand that? And so our hope is to, to, to glean wisdom from what Paul is saying here. Uh, after Paul's day, after that time, the office of the prophet along with the office of an apostle, which was foundational for the development of the church, ceased to be a formal role in the church because everything that we read, in other words, if we say do not despise prophecies here, essentially what we're getting at is do not despise or do not push down the um, or do not suppress the prophetic testimony we have from the apostles. Right? If I'm going to, If I'm going to bring prophecy to you, I'm going to bring it in the form of God's word. Does that make sense to you? But often what we hear in a more casual sense is someone says something along the lines of, um, hey, the Lord really put this on my heart and I just wanted to share something with you. You know, I've been driving before and as I'm driving down the road, someone comes to my mind. And I've called that individual and I've said, hey, I don't know what's going on in your day or your week or whatever, but as I was driving or doing something around the house or in the office or whatever, you came to my mind. Sometimes I'll say, I think the Lord brought you to my mind. And often, though not every time, they'll say something like, I mean, I remember calling somebody once, this is, you know, 15 years ago or something, and, and uh, I called and I just said, you know, I, I think the Lord brought you to mind. Are you doing okay? Can I, any way I can be praying for you? And he started sobbing. Like, okay, well, there's something here. And I don't know, have to know all the specifics, but I'm just going to start to pray. And I just started to pray. They didn't even get to catch their breath and say anything. And I just began to pray for her over the phone. So does the Holy Spirit work through his people in this way? Sure he does. Because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. 
who teaches us, who, who guides us into all truth. But where we need to be careful is understanding what has come from the Lord in an authoritative sense versus what is potentially fallible, though often well-meaning, uh, communication through God's people for one another. Still further down the continuum that we would want to be warned heavily against is those who purport to bring truth, but do so in ways that are wrong or incorrect or not truth at all, but present it as though it's true. And so we need to be on guard, friends. We need to be on guard. Uh, a prophetic utterance is, is an inspired and an intelligible message, right? It's distinct from something like speaking in tongues, uh, which for Paul was, uh, in his day, was, was inspired, but not always and not normally intelligible, right? And, and without an interpreter, not authoritative, and certainly now not, in, not authoritative in the sense of the word of the written word of God that we hold in our Bibles, that we read in our Bibles. I mentioned often a prophetic, prophetic utterance is preceded with something like, thus says the Lord. And if the whole, in the Old Testament in particular, there were strict consequences for someone proclaiming, thus says the Lord, and it not coming true, right? Uh, death is one of them. And one is, you, you never believe whoever purports that again. But as I said, the debate kind of centers today on what about when we say, I had a dream and it means this. Brothers and sisters, we need to approach these things with caution. What we need to do is approach it with caution, knowing that while God may and can still at times work in some way through dreams, it's not authoritative, right? Hebrews tells us in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets and through dreams, but today he has spoken through his son, Jesus. In other words, God has given us his revealed will through Jesus, who is the written word and who through the Holy Spirit points us to the living word of God. Now, some of us, you ever gotten instructions for something and you think uh, you open it up and you look at it now now listen there are some instructions that are just just they're just deplorable they're terrible it's like why are we paying somebody to do this and it's increasing the price of this product that i bought right and so those we just all know we just chuck those out but there are some instructions for some more complicated things that can actually be helpful and so sometimes we go well i'm going to read part of this and then ah that's all i need and i throw it away now if you have an engineering mind good for you and you know, uh, Godspeed as you work to put those things together. For me, I need to stick a little closer to the instructions because I have failed many times in not doing so. Uh, but sometimes we do that with God's word. We read it and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. Eh, I'm going to do my own thing. Right? It's very different than trying to put something together from the store for your kids for Christmas or for a birthday and, and just discarding those directions. We cannot do it on the authority of God's word. We cannot do that. We cannot despise the prophetic word that we have recorded in his authoritative word of God, which is meant to help us know him, which is meant to help us grow in him. I've had people say to me things like, God gave me a vision or God gave me a dream. I don't rebuke them right then and there. I don't say, no, that's get away from me. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I just listen. 
and I listen for how it connects with Scripture. But I don't take it authoritatively. And then I usually, because it usually has to do with something that's going on, I pull back and I just wait to observe the circumstances, unless there's something that seems a little bit more concerning or alarming in that. But often, often it's God's people who the Lord impresses something on their heart that they want to communicate to someone and their aim is to do it faithfully. Now, certainly we know that's not true in every case. And I've been a part of Christian circles that I believe were genuinely Christian that had a a different view on all of this and believed these utterances to be more authoritative. And I don't see that as affirming to Scripture. So we're not despising prophecies when it comes from someone who is not a clearly, um, clearly communicated authority for God communicating his truth. That is to exercise discernment and patience in waiting to see how God is working, but taking every message that we hear and comparing it to the plumb line of God's word, the rule of truth in the scriptures. I appreciate what uh, Greg Beale, uh, G.K. Beale commentator says. Um, and in, in context, he's talking about you've got one side who believe uh, uh, anybody who claims to have any kind of anything is coming from the Lord. In other words, I think the Lord laid you on my mind. Um, and there are many who would just argue strongly against that and say, nope, that the Lord doesn't work in that way, period. Everything is in the scriptures. And that, and that they, most of those folks would agree that that's true. Or there's others who say, no, God still works in that way. And it's authoritative, but it's not as authoritative. In other words, it's not the word of the Lord, but it's a word of the Lord. And Professor Beale Beale says, prophecy elsewhere in the Bible seems to be always connected with a direct revelation by the Spirit. And we know that we have everything that we need in the Word of God. A challenge for you is to consider this. If someone were to come to you and say, I've got a word of the Lord that I think is for you, right? So they're mitigating what they're saying. They're coming likely in a humble way communicating that something that seems they're saying I think is from the Lord, would you be more prone to listen to that and to follow that than you would something that you know is clearly from the Lord, understood rightly in its context and how it applies to you today? What I'm getting at is many times we, we seek that which is new or that which seems exciting or that which appeals more to our liking of a current circumstance or situation. And people say, I know this is God's will for me. I'm like, well, according to this, it's not. Yeah, but the Lord told me that this is what he wants me to do. Like, well, I can't get behind that. Because it directly contradicts scripture the lord does not speak in new ways he does not speak in new ways that contradict his word for the modern church our application of that is to say we need to we need to strive to guard god's word Brothers and sisters, culturally, we are on the minority 
when we think of being a people of the book who seek to try to understand correctly and to live according to God's word, even when, even when it is very contrary to those around us. We're being told that we just don't, uh, we just don't know how to understand God's word and all sorts of things. I'm going to resist trying to go into many of the ways that this applies to us because it is many. And so we, we need to be faithful to do our very best to know God's word so that we don't despise it or extinguish it by not applying it and living it on our own or ourselves or with one another, right? So how do we do this? Well, focus on what we know with absolute certainty, which is God's word. Expend the majority of your energy, your effort, your study, your trying to discern and understand on God's word, which is rich and full, thorough and complete for our lives. Put your effort there. Notice a tendency, if you have this tendency, that when somebody comes with a a word that they communicate is a new word from the Lord, Again, I said it a few minutes ago, but your ears kind of perk up a little bit more. Oh, this seems new. Why would that be? I want to search your heart and ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, help me understand. Why is it that I, why is it that I want to lean in when somebody comes with a new word? Then leaning into what you have given me, the perfect God, creator of the universe, creator of my soul, the knower of everything about me and what I need. And you've given it to me. Not only in your word, but in the person of your son and in the body of Christ. To walk with one another. So focused on what we know with absolute certainty, which may mean dealing with the question of your heart. Do I trust God? Do I trust what God has given me in his word? Or do I think that somebody will come with something that will answer a question I've been plagued by? Trust his word. On the other side, don't be suspicious when the Lord is moving you beyond your comfort zone. Don't be suspicious when God is moving you beyond your comfort zone, right? The Apostle Paul prayed that God would do more than we can ask or imagine. I'm pretty sure that's uncomfortable at times. If if comfort is your sort of safe zone, then it's likely that you may be despising God's prophetic word because it makes you uncomfortable. There's a, there's a gap between uh, Paul's day and, and the town of Thessalonica and the way God works. Not that God is different, but God used the miraculous gifts to communicate his deity, who he who he was and who he was coming and what he was coming for. And so because we affirm the supremacy and the sufficiency of Scripture, we recognize this difference. And our goal is to understand what was written as it was written and intended for the church in Thessalonica. And then what is our understanding of that for us today? The application is not actually different, but how we apply it may be somewhat different. We have the complete and authoritative word from God. We've got the Holy Spirit to help us and the Christian tradition from which to draw from to help us rightly understand God's word. 
I want to read our church's doctrinal statement, which may help us in this. Now, is our church scripture? No. But we, so we always submit everything in our church's doctrinal statement to the word of God. But for many years, this has been how we've communicated this as a church family and how we've sought to understand this as best we can. So I'll read it for you. We believe that the Holy Spirit in his wisdom and according to his good pleasure has bestowed or given gifts of grace on all believers in Christ for the purpose of equipping them for ministry, for bringing about maturity of faith and the unity of Christ's church. These gifts are to be used in accordance with God's expressed will as revealed in his word. However, we believe that some of these gifts mentioned in Scripture, popularly known as sign gifts, tongues, prophecy, miracles, healings, etc., were primarily, and that's a key word, friends, primarily manifested or made visible in the age of the apostles and were for the purpose of confirming apostleship and giving authority to their writings. Scripture. Since the age of the apostles has passed and the scriptures are complete, we believe that the sign gifts as as manifested in the first century are extremely rare and should be evaluated within their original intent of confirming God's message and the messenger for the sole purpose of advancing the gospel in areas where the name Jesus has not been heard. To, to put a title over how we view this as a church family, at least in our doctrinal statement there, would be to say that we would be uh, continuationists with caution. In other words, could God still work in this way? Of course he can. He's God. But we would say that it's not normative, right? It's not the normal way that God works to communicate his message because he has now given us his message in the revealed word of God. And if anyone were to come to you communicating that there's something that they're saying that is authoritative, that is at odds with scripture, you should discount them. First, you should seek to understand them, but you should discount them, not discount scripture. So we need to examine everything in light of scripture. That's the second part of this of this phrase, but be discerning holding fast to what is good and abstaining from every form of evil, right? If, if, if one passage of scripture says that God is absolutely sovereign, that means in control of all things regarding salvation. And another passage says that we are responsible to believe that's Romans nine and it's Romans 10. We've just been going through it as a youth group. These are not contradictory claims, but we need to understand them as the apostle Paul was writing them to the church at Rome. We need to understand what he was trying to communicate uh, and see how these scriptures complement one another and bring clarity to one another in God's overall purpose and plan. If Paul tells us that we are justified by faith alone, Romans 4, 5, and James says that we are justified by our works, James 2, 24. Much ink has been spilled about whether or not they viewed salvation in the same way. They very much did. And James says, you show me your faith without works. And I'll show you something that's not salvation. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us to walk in the works that God prepared for us. The good works that don't earn salvation, but they affirm our walking with the Lord and our new regenerate hearts. That God prepared for us before the foundation of the world. 
So we need to examine any teaching in the right way and do our very best, our level best, to understand it according to the scripture. Now, there's a challenge, friends. It's easy to sit back and think, that's the elder's job. And it is. It's the elder's job to understand and to do our best to be faithful to teach the scriptures in true and helpful ways. It is your job, brother and sister in Christ, every brother and sister in Christ, to hear what we say, check it against God's word, and walk in that understanding as you continue to study the scriptures yourself. And I want to say this strongly and kindly. There is no place. There is no reasoning in the Bible that communicates. You can become a Christian and not ever study the scriptures yourself and call yourself a responsible Christian. Now, I don't say that to, I mean, that sounds like a kind of heavy hammer kind of a statement. So here's where I'm thankful. Among many things, I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful that God's grace means we don't have to understand all of the Bible to be faithful Christians. It means God's grace enables you to be right where you're at today and say, you know what? I got a lot of work to do in understanding the scriptures. The the question isn't how much you know or what you've done in the past. For us, the question today is, what do we do today? What's our step of faith-filled obedience today? And again, it's not about relationship. I'm Excuse me. It is about relationship. It's not about knowledge, but it's about seeking the Lord in faith and seeking to know him through his word and understanding his word in the context of, of, of Christian history and the Christian community of faith. I hope that makes sense. I hope that I hope you hear that as an encouragement to you, not a chastisement. But as an encouragement to lean into the Lord who loves you and who gave you his word. Right. We don't want to be like the guy in the proverbial story who who needed some guidance. And and I've heard people say, you know, I don't really have a plan. I just kind of flip in the Bible and then I find a verse and I read it. Oh, friends, can God work in that way? He can. Does God normally work in that way? He does not. I've heard testimonies of people who have read a Bible, a Gideon Bible in a hotel room, and they've opened to a page and the Lord brought their eye to a verse and they read it, they believed it, and they were saved and their life changed. Does God work in this way? Yes, he does. Is it the normative, responsible Christian approach for how to read the Bible? No, it is not. We want to read words have meaning in their context. And so we don't want to be like the guy who needed guidance. And so he turned out to a random verse and he went, Judas went out and hanged himself. And he thought, well, that can't be God's will for me. So he turned to another passage again and he said, go and do thou likewise. He panicked. Well, that's, that can't be for me. And so he flipped. What thou doest, do quickly. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is not working out well. Friends, here's the point. We need to understand and we need to under, we need to understand and we need to interpret scripture rightly, which means 
understanding it as it was written to its original audience as a word from the Lord to these brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we need to understand, was there something different there than here? I mean, this is a prime passage for understanding this when we read passages about about, uh, understanding prophecy. Lastly, in closing, I want to encourage you to learn from those who know more of the word than you do. Humble yourself. Humble your, Pride comes before the fall. I want to encourage you to humble yourself. Seek someone out who can help you understand the scriptures. Why? Not so you can have the knowledge someone else has, but so that you would not quench the spirit by despising his clearly revealed prophetic word to you, to us as believers. And so that you can learn increasingly how to test everything with an intent to hold fast to what is good, which is how you know how to abstain from every form of evil. Because on the positive, we hold fast to what is good, which means if we are doing that, we're abstaining from every kind of evil, from every form of evil. We'll fail in this to be sure. And that's why I'm so thankful for Jesus and, and what he has done to help us in that. So we, we hold to God's word. Don't be spiritually gullible. Don't be prone to be led astray by every wind of doctrine, every form of deceitfulness and cunning, which Paul writes about in Ephesians and Colossians and many other writers write elsewhere. But others can swing to the other side of the pendulum and say, no, the Holy Spirit's not working in his church. That was a thing for the past. And, and, and we don't learn anything from the Holy Spirit today as we spend time in God's word, because that would also be false, my friends. But we test everything against the word of God. And so with this church, Paul urges this sort of spiritual balance, testing what we hear, testing what we read against the word of God. Walking in faith, which is a confident assurance of what we have not yet seen, which often can make us uncomfortable. Don't look for a bed of comfort. Don't rest in a fence of cynicism. Live in the word. Trust God in the process. So while we may, must not extinguish the spirits working among, among us, we We must be discerning, testing everything against his word and clinging to everything that is good. And there is so much good, friends. You will be not we will not be wanting for good or a good word from the Lord because we have it.